This is Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast, bringing you the latest practices in the world of fiber networks and plus architecture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to explore key technologies that are shaping our industry and yours. Now, as we dig into today's conversation, which is going to touch on AI and other cutting-edge technologies for use in data migration, which I'll get into more specifically here in a second, I want to make sure that you've got all of the content you need to feel caught up, as well as other resources to better understand the work 3GIS does. So as we jump in, make sure that you're heading to our website, 3GIS.com. That's three, the number three, dash G-I-S dot com. There you'll find previous episodes of the show, other pieces of 3GIS content, and you'll also find important resources, videos, articles, and more information on our solutions and services. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new episodes. So again, on today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking data migration and AI. Now, phasing out legacy software and applications as well as upgrading data sets to more useful formats and getting data to a new physical storage hub. These may sound familiar to you as a business. Now, we'll intersect this one as well. Migrations from on-premises infrastructure to cloud-based alternatives. All of the above are just scratching the surface of why companies are gathering critical data and preparing it for migration. But with that move of data also comes a realization that if done incorrectly or as a half measure or without data gravity and the natural evolving complexity of data sets with every migration or new application in mind, that migration can quickly become a major time sink as well as a mismanagement of resources. So what we're wanting to do with the podcast today is intersect how AI machine learning, and human-in-the-loop methods of technology integration as potential solutions to data migration woes, we're wanting to break down how this dynamic is playing out in practice, to what degree these technologies are assisting in data migration, and how you, business out there listening to our episode, can apply some of these insights for your own data migration operations. So here to get more specific, I want to introduce our two guests. First up, we're joined by Stephen Hudak. Stephen Hudak is Senior GIS Consultant for SSP Innovations based out of Centennial, Colorado. Stephen has worked in the field of GIS for roughly a decade wearing different hats, but most recently working on enterprise software implementations and fiber optic data management systems. Stephen, great to have you on. How are you doing? Doing good. Great to be here. Since this is audio only, unfortunately, we can't see all of your various hats, but I'm curious what styles we're rocking, right? (laughs) Oh, I just have a whole bunch of baseball hats stacked on my head. I love it. Yeah, right. 10 stacked tall to the ceiling. 
We're also joined by Mr. Kevin Harrelson. He's production manager of the data team for 3GIS in Decatur, Alabama. Kevin has worked in the field of GIS data migration for 3GIS for almost a decade and in the GIS field more generally for about 25 years, having come to the telecom industry with a background in archaeology. Very cool. Kevin, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. I appreciate the both of you joining us on the podcast today and giving us some insights on this important trend, uh, but then more actionably maneuvering it through some technology solutions and investments. So let's start by just painting an important picture here. What are some of the key reasons why you're even seeing enterprise companies migrate their data today? And what are some of the key challenges they're facing? I did list some out in the intro, but more concretely based on the work you're doing, what are you seeing motivate this data migration in mass and how does it create roadblocks? What we're seeing in general is a lot of companies are trying to keep up with the latest technology. So maybe they're working on a system that is somewhat dated, isn't receiving you know, routine updates and may not be getting updates in the future at all. And so they're trying to get back into a kind of living data model. Other reasons might be that the software and system that they're currently using doesn't fit their needs, whereas ours does. Many that we've seen in the past have evolved over time, and they're built on a data model that isn't quite structured perfectly for telecom. That's why they want to move to our data model, is because it's built around telecom. I uh, echo a lot of what Kevin said, I also note that it seems like besides just the mechanical needs to upgrade with the changing operating systems, changing technology, versions of security software, you know, TLS, Java, what have you, that requires you to update, being pushed in those directions. There's also a big pull that I've noticed from users now that users expect wildly different software and systems than than users have had in the past. You know, it's kind of like the iPhone impetus or the the iPhone phenomena where anybody who picks up an iPhone, just about anybody, can can figure out how to use an app just because of how they're designed, how the system has been created for usability. And so expectations have changed a lot. And so now now users that were okay with software that was originally created in the you know the mid nineties or late nineties, they have totally different expectations and there's kind of a at least recently it's, it seems like there's kind of a catch up from the user side of it. And then the data side, all of the, all the reasons Kevin listed are absolutely true on the data side. One other thing that we're seeing for a lot of our customers is they're not in a managed system whatsoever currently. So they've uh, been able to you know, move projects forward by managing the data in an unmanaged system, if that makes sense. So they're tracking their information on spreadsheets, various spreadsheets here and there. Their spatial data might be in CAD or, you know, Google Earth or something like that, but there's no communication between the two. And so that represents a real challenge for them if they aren't kept perfectly in sync. And so what they want to do is move to a managed system where if they change the data in the, or the spatial data, that it automatically updates the connectivity data that would be managed in just an Excel sheet prior to that. And so whenever you have that unmanaged type system, it leads to all kinds of errors, downtime, 
you know, you send out a crew to do some work and the information isn't in sync and they have to, you know, waste time to get that correct information. But with a managed system, you know, it can take care of a lot of that tedious, keeping things in sync work. So we're also seeing a lot of that. People who have never been in a managed system before, they have various records in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and they want to get them into a single system. Now, I know a lot of these changes and these adoption trends of, for example, cloud-based systems and uh, building out more robust data centers and then having to migrate data to those data centers. This has been happening for years now. Uh, there may have been a more recent influx or validation for why these trends are valid and, and why they should be taken on in mass, but we have seen them for a while. I'm curious how many of these challenges you're seeing impact your clients and the industry today. How many of them are new challenges? How many of these are legacy issues around data migration that just haven't been addressed with standard practices yet in the industry? What's the dynamic of the field? We see a mix. One of the things and challenges that we see with customers that are on managed systems where they've had a data migration or more than one in the past is that they carry forward in each of those migrations some issue they weren't happy with in the legacy system. And then that gets compounded with each migration, but also it lingers in their data. And their desire, if possible, is for us to help correct for some of those issues so that maybe they were forced to work a certain way in one system. They migrated that data, maybe not perfectly or you know the way they wanted to a new system. So they have some differences and then they work a certain way in that system. And then now they wanna migrate forward to 3GIS and clean up all of those lingering issues. And so that is an interesting thing is that Oftentimes, we're not just migrating from their existing system, we're migrating from a system they owned 20 years ago, in some respects. Never ask an engineer what fields need to be included in some object, because oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll add 100 fields and they'll never get used, because they always want everything. That's right. So one of, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that there's this trend, you know, at least in, in telecom and Electric and gas utilities, these kind of what we might describe as related businesses or similar businesses. There used to be whole floors worth of drafters and editors and people doing QAQC and reviewers. And, and the trend is obviously towards uh, people being more efficient with, with uh, you know, how much they produce on a daily basis, having fewer people do the work of what, what was formerly a whole floor of people. And this trend is kind of, at least the way I see it, it's created a small group of super users, and then everybody else in the company is a user in one way or another. You know, it's a very Esri thing to say. It's a very GIS thing to say in, in this industry. But the people in the middle, those those regular drafters, are kind of being pushed to one side of that aisle or the other. So you have a few administrators, a few developers that run the system and maintain the system, but then everybody else is able to access all of the data, is able to input data because of all of the advancements within the system from automated you know, QAQC to, to automated multi-step editing just straight from a browser. Those kind of 
efficiencies and those kind of capabilities that now exist as people, you know, march along the path of progressing software has really enabled the organization to do more with fewer people, which is, you know, maybe the past 50 years is is just the necessary movement in order to maintain, you know, a, a profitable company. And so that's a challenge in and of itself as as there are fewer people able to really look over data quality for for one, but fewer people within the the middle of that process to kind of brute force any kind of problem. You know, if, if if there's a big outage, if there's a big effort to populate a bunch of data because of some deadline, you can't just throw tons of people at these problems anymore. And so companies have to get smarter and they have to use, you know, a system like 3GIS, whereas before they had something that was much uh, more manual or didn't facilitate these kind of efficiencies, or like Kevin said, didn't exist at all. You just, you, you know, in order to survive, in order to compete in that environment, you have to make make that move. All right, let's intersect automation now into the conversation. A lot of the processes that are going to solve data migration, you know, still are going to remain manual. There is some aspect of depending on what your data set is, it's going to require some professional oversight to make sure it's ingested correctly and accurately. But there are many processes that can be automated. And increasingly, businesses are realizing probably should be automated because of just the scale of data being migrated and the immense cost to labor resources that it takes to do it all manually. So what are some of the major advantages if you had to get more concrete of automation that you've seen during your data migration careers? Anything specific that's really standing out and making a case for why automation should be considered as more of a standard? Yeah, what I've seen, especially recently, is some of our customers that are very capable in the design arena, they can get a design pushed out fairly rapidly They want to see that design in the 3GIS application. Maybe they have a contract to deliver that information into the application, but getting it connected within our data model doesn't meet the pace of their design. And so what they want to be able to do is rapidly deploy that design, connect it, and test how well they did and how good their information is. A lot of that, what we've worked on for those projects is somewhat specific to that design shop. You know, they have a specific output that they produce and we work with them to refine that output to meet the expectations of our application. We work with them to do that once they get that to that stage where their data appears the way we want it, we can create something to push it into the system quickly, and then use the application services like APIs and things like that to ingest their connectivity. And they could bring that spatial data in fairly quickly without some type of process behind it. And they could go to each location and make those connections manually. It would achieve the same goal. It would just take a lot more time And by automating that, especially that connectivity process, you might have to monitor it somewhat, but it doesn't get tired. It doesn't take any breaks. It doesn't go out for lunch. It just keeps going through the data. 
for them and they just await a result. Now we would like to, they continually want us to make that faster, obviously for several reasons. And they want to get that result quicker so they can see if they need to make refinements. So we just continually work with them to attempt to optimize that as much as we can. Ultimately, they want to see if their design is working and can get it to their customer. So they want to iterate through that multiple times. And, you know, that's where we can help with automation of that part of the process. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking through, you know, the, the dozens of data migrations I've worked on. And one of the, I guess, cost benefits that you, you weigh is how much time is this automation going to take? Versus how much time would it take if if I tried to do the work manually? You know, this might be anything from you know installing enterprise software to moving information from one data structure to another, or from one database to another. Things that Kevin is very aware of, having done that so many times. But if you if you think about that as a simple equation, you say, well, doing it manually is five minutes faster than than you know scripting it out and automating it. Then then that one's worth it. That's that's never worth it. The scale would have to be tipped so far in the favor of, of doing it manually in order for that to actually make sense in the real world, just because things always go wrong, you know? And so if, if you, if you spend the upfront time to automate something, like Kevin said, it's, it's cost-free to run it again. And, and because things always go wrong, all you have to do is modify a minor part of that automation in terms of one-time data migration for a client and, and just set it and forget it. You know, like the infomercial, was that the rotisserie grill, that the chicken grill? Set it and forget it. That should be a tagline of migrations from here on out. That's the only, only way to do it efficiently when there are so many variables involved, when there are so many things that could go wrong in the end product, so many things to be tweaked, or, you know, if the client has changes their mind at some point and it's critical that some data structure has to be changed that automation in in the the real world is just a fact of life doing things manually is is almost not feasible anymore and it's expensive you know we've looked at some projects where we have a data services as well that's the kind of the umbrella that i work under where some of that work is done manually and you know to produce the same amount of results is just really incredibly expensive but like Steven said, it depends on the scale. If a customer came to us with information on five splice closures, they want to you know, get connected, but it's in Excel, it's very difficult to read. It makes more sense to just do that manually in the application. But if they had 5,000, that would take days, months, weeks, who knows you know, how long. So it, it has a lot to do with scale. Yeah, manual work is always going to be more expensive by a factor. You brought up an interesting thing that's come up a lot uh, in my experience, and that's when you're migrating the client from an inherently inefficient system to a more efficient system like 3GIS, and 3GIS has a whole host of, of tools just you know for editing, for inputting data, for populating things. It's an interesting equation to try to balance when the client wants everything migrated because if, if they would you know take the the 90% they could get done with minimal effort because it's a straightforward migration but then they have 10% of their data that's stored 
like he said, and you know, different spreadsheets or it's a piece of information written on a piece of paper here. Why would we try to tailor a process towards these exceptions when right immediately after our, our migration, they're going to have a vastly improved tool set to, to then just go and, and import this data? That seems to be a recurring situation that comes up in data migrations the past few years. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, they'll approach us with some data that has that shape and they'll ask us, you know, what would be the, you know, cost basically to get that input. If we look at that as a manual effort, then we turn that cost around to them, present it to them. And oftentimes what they find is since they do have access to the system, they would more or less do it in the same way we would. It's not cost effective to pay us to do that. So they, do end up doing it directly in the application. But manual work, like, yeah, that's, that's really kind of the exception rather than the rule. Typically, we don't see data from customers in that kind of way. You know, a lot of our customers either have it in some type of shape or we can talk them through getting it to where we need it to be to make it more efficient. Otherwise, yeah, they're looking at a manual effort that's a, that's a tough one, but really that's kind of a product of uh, past decisions that they've made for one reason or another, and now they are having to deal with those decisions if they want to get the most out of their data. Let me ask one more question to you, Kevin. What's the breakdown in terms of the percentage of work you've done? So between recommending to the customer to clean up their data in their current environment with their current tools, recommending they clean it up after a migration with the new tools, or trying to clean it up in the process? I think it's hard to put a percentage on that, but I would say that we get the absolute best results when we can work with our customers, especially the technical folks as a team. What we do is kind of an iterative process. We migrate the data once, get a result, but more importantly, we get the exceptions and fallout, help them to understand that those exceptions and fallout, why it didn't work, and work with them to get that cleaned up in their system. The most successful migrations are when they are actively trying to resolve those issues in their current system before we finally cut them over into 3GIS. In certain circumstances, they don't just don't have the manpower to do it. You know, they can start on it, but it depends on scale, right? So if they have millions of issues, we can look at some type of logical resolution during the migration. And then post-migration, we always present exception reporting. So they have all the information to go look at these locations, resolve the issue if they choose to do that. Now, percentage-wise, it's kind of difficult to say exactly what that breakdown is. Many times, if they're not in a managed system currently, if they're working off of spreadsheets, that kind of thing, they choose to do it afterwards because they just have a difficult time you know, getting all of that information together prior to. If they're in a managed system and they're proactive in cleaning up their data, they typically get it done during that process and we get a much cleaner result. But you know, it's 
entirely up to them. As a team, what we do with them is try to present them with the best information, the best options, and then proceed from there. Ultimately, it's up to them to get their data in the best shape possible in many cases. So let's jump over to human in the loop strategies and technology workflows. So again, human in the loop machine learning strategies are being implemented to keep the human as an active role in building out quality automation models. But, you know, it's still a focus on automation models. It just creates more feedback touch points during the training process and makes sure that the time spent by the human interaction with building out these processes and facilitating the migration are spent more wisely. So how does this actually work in practice for a machine learning professional, especially during some data migration, automation, and training? What does human-in-the-loop workflows actually look like? I can comment on that a little bit. The, the idea of machine learning being you know, some sort of magical technology, I think, is kind of overblown a bit it's it's you know it's a buzzword and it, it's a the topic of the day but it's really really comes down to the following when we automate something what we're doing is we're finding information that can allow us to make a decision when we want to make a process more efficient we say well what do we already know and based on what we know can't we just assume things machine learning is taking that a little bit further. Whereas before we would have to rely on a human in the process to, to make that decision at that point, we'd automate as much as we could. And then at a certain point, we, we'd say, well, we, we just don't have enough information. We, we, can't, we can't automate this any further because a person is just going to have to make that call. And machine learning allows us to kind of delve into the, the thought process of a human a little bit. It allows us to train a model for a specific purpose that will then, when we throw the information in that model, be able to make a decision like a human would. In, in the case of you know, computer vision, it would, it would be a problem like identifying something or, or classifying something. So if you had a picture of, what would be an example in this case, picture of, of a sidewalk and you wanted to identify a handhole, what you could do is you'd train a model with a ton of pictures of handholes until you get to a good probability of, of accuracy, uh, a confidence level where you're happy. And then when you throw that picture against the, the trained model, it'll give a prediction, it'll give an inference, and it'll say that's whatever company or whatever size or, or whatever we're looking for. It's, it's a trained model that will go and, and get that information that only a human would previously. So it's, it's not fundamentally doing anything crazy until you get to higher orders of artificial intelligence and, and the technology theoretically can get pretty scary <laughs> Terminator world where humans really aren't necessary in the process. But at the current place in time, it's it's basically just bringing that automation process forward a little bit. It's, it's allowing the automation to go a little bit farther than it was able to in the past. And so, you know, it, if, if a person needed to make a decision earlier on in the process. Now it's a little bit later, but a human ultimately, for most of what we're working with, is still going to need to be involved until such time as, as we have robot overlords truly guiding every aspect of society. There's going to be a reason for a human to be involved in, in most processes that I can think of. But then 
these these models that are that are trained they can also be improved you know so if if a model can can get you 80% of the way in terms of making decisions that that humans previously needed to make and then the human involvement is the last 20% you can just create a feedback loop so a person is making a decision at the end of that process and every single time a person makes a decision that's a data point and so you have your data that was used to train your model previously and now you just add that decision point that a person made within that process back to your grouping of data and you retrain your model and it gets better with with each decision a person makes as long as you're capturing it so that kind of goes to the idea that if you want to take advantage of machine learning in whatever way that manifests itself within the process that we're talking here, you really have to be able to capture those human decisions in order to make your models better. So that's that's a whole lot of things to ultimately say, if you want to take advantage of better automation technologies, i.e. machine learning, you have to have a better system for capturing data and to have a better system for capturing data you have to have you know some something like what we're talking about migrating to here you can't have just a bunch of spreadsheets you have to have a more connected system having an api is a huge plus being able to integrate with other systems all of these things together including just database best practices kind of enable you to take advantage of that in the future it makes you machine learning ready in a sense so you know, if you think in your particular application or your system you have, if you think that machine learning is is just too far away, there's no way to to take advantage of it. The first step is just making sure you're in a system that's producing high quality data, accurate data, and is able to integrate with other systems so that you can eventually get there. Yeah, I would echo that. We have not used anything approaching machine learning per se in data migration. But in terms of human in the loop data migration, there's heavy involvement. And it's partly, you know, kind of touching on what Steven said, as far as devising a plan, people have to communicate what that plan would be up front, right? So there's a lot of work up front, a lot of just communication, understanding what is available data-wise, how was it captured in the past, that kind of thing to come up with a plan and the outcome is only as good as that plan is. So there's a lot of human interaction, especially up front, even in a machine learning type situation, because you do have to train that model. And the only way to do that, you know, if you just present like Steven used the example of pictures of the sidewalk and handholes or manholes, if you just throw a bunch of pictures at a machine learning algorithm and don't tell it what it's looking for, maybe it will only find cement right? <laughs> you have to still explicitly tell it, no, I'm looking for these round objects. So it's only as good as what you train it on. Everybody's data is only as good as what the input is. So expecting the output to be better than the input is the goal, but it's not always attainable. Yeah, and, and without a plan, like you said, for, for what to do, it really becomes an exercise in futility. I've seen yeah. multiple examples now of companies that have kind of drank the Kool-Aid, they were sold by some brilliant marketing team, yeah. sold an organization on, on these ideas. And so they set up, you know, a data lake, a quote unquote data lake. I'm doing air quotes here. 
uh, which is just a box.com account, and they throw everything into it, and they call it unstructured data. So it's it's uh, another buzzword, so you're happy. And they have no plan of what to do with it, but they think this is what they're supposed to do to get to some efficiency or some meaningful outcome. Or because then they can talk about, I'm doing machine learning and <laughs> yeah. when they're at a conference or something. you know. So it's it's really, there's a big difference between setting up a system with a purpose, with a goal in mind, for with, with, with a plan, and just going through the motions because that, that's what you think you're supposed to do. And, and if, if you completely avoid anything to do with machine learning, but you have an efficient system and you're profitable and it's, everything is good and it's maintainable, then, then there's, there's no harm. You're not losing out. And, and every single day, these technologies become more and more accessible. It's, it's not just a bunch of equations and math problems anymore. There's, you know, there's, there's very consumer-friendly services out there now to consume large amounts of data and do something useful in terms of training machine learning models to do useful things. The, the longer you wait, the easier it is to adopt technology. <laughs> <laughs> that is true in some cases, yeah. So if you had to give an actionable strategy for when to apply human in the loop workflows or where in that data migration journey you would apply human in the loop workflows, where would you recommend that machine learning professionals or folks in charge of data migration think of implementing those touch points, right? Is there a most useful step where it makes sense for the human to step in and guide the automation models or is it very dependent on each application? What have you seen? I think there's kind of two categories that, that we work with on a regular basis. We could say that there's a big one-time data migration, millions of records, a lot of complexity going from one system to another, one data structure to another. And then there's another situation, which is a constant stream of data being migrated from one place to another. And and those are very different situations, at least as far as we interact with the data. Because that first situation where you just have one big data migration, you can design that, you can, you can figure it out, you can figure out how to make it efficient. And in terms of machine learning, maybe there's a, a part of that problem that you can solve that way. Something off the top of my head that we've worked with before would be as-built for gas and, you know, in a gas distribution company. And there's a lot of engineering drawings and you need to glean some sort of information from those. And you have a huge number of those. You can easily find business case for implementing that technology. But but that's not really, that's not really, um, a person is not engaged in that process on a regular basis. It, it takes a lot of upfront effort. You gather all of the information, you classify it, you tag or annotate images in order to, to train a model. But when the model is trained and it's accurate enough, you run it on all the data you have and you're good. You have your, your deliverable in that sense. You know, we see a fair amount of that kind of work. And so there'd be a lot of value there, but you have to evaluate it because it's it's possible that the kind of problems that need to be solved when when migrating the data are just not not feasible with a low amount of effort. And and I'm sure there's some great data scientist out there who can who can figure it out. But it's it's almost the, the question is at what cost? Like we were talking about before, you gotta you gotta weigh the things. But then there are smaller problems that you can you can find within the big problem that could take almost no effort at all in terms of 
implementing some sort of clever, you know, novel script to data structure or go and look at related tables and then make decisions and then pop some really high quality data into your, your new model. Or, or on the machine learning side, there could be certain information like a checkbox on a handwritten record that you could easily just train a model to pull that out. So now you can classify these 3 million records had, had that box checked and these 3 million records didn't have it checked. So now you, you have a very valuable piece of information, but it's not the whole problem. You're not solving the whole problem. Then you would You'd go back and lean on more traditional methods to solve the rest, but you would have saved a ton of time because of how easy it is to get that classification on a grand scale. Ongoing regular data input from some source into your system, kind of like we were talking about before with, with a, a person, like, like a data editor dropping a point on, on the map to, to add some, some sort of survey point that they took in the field. They're putting a piece of information down regularly over time. You can capture that information. You can incorporate it into another process. Um, so those those are kind of the two two different problems we work with. Um, I know Kevin's worked a lot more with the large data migrations than than I have. Yeah, that's typically what I do. And you know, one of the concerns we often have so keeping humans in the loop from the beginning and all through like a large scale data migration is important because. You may make decisions. You want to understand the outcome of those decisions before you see it. Because the last thing you want to do is attempt to solve a problem, but you solve it in a way that creates more work than it's worth, right? So maybe I'm trying to save one hour of work. I implement some you know, process, come to find out it created 20 hours of work to correct it. So without that human interaction to understand the outcome or predict the outcome accurately, uh, you could easily end up in those situations, right? And we want to avoid that. I would rather do nothing uh, than do something that creates unnecessary work. That's an interesting kind of dilemma, right? So you have this big problem you have to solve, how to get information from source to destination but as you're solving that problem you don't know if if what you're doing is is correct in in many cases right like if if a if a piece of information is something simple like uh you know the color of a fiber strand or or the the sequential on a cable you know something simple then it then we just know from experience or because it's a very simple thing within the data model and it only fits in one place we know what that is but I guess you're saying that a lot of the time, the information, what it actually means, what it represents, and and where it needs to live, isn't isn't forthcoming. It's not it's not immediately obvious. That's right. Yeah, some in some circumstances. So here's a kind of a good example. We have a customer, let's say, that has one hundred thousand panels out in their network. They have connectivity to roughly half of those, 50,000. They want us to automate the connections to the other 50,000. We come up with some kind of plan for that, uh, discuss it first of all. Some logic is imposed to determine what circumstance would allow us to make that connection, which doesn't yet exist. And then we implement that plan. Now, if we just do it one off, nobody checks it and just says, hey, the logic sounded great. So we're happy, you know, we're just going with it. What we could end up doing is connecting it incorrectly. 
Now it's connected. Maybe that's, you know, all that's needed, but if it's connected incorrectly, then a user would have to go to each one, maybe manually disconnect it first, then reconnect it. And so if it hadn't been connected at all, that is only one step, just connect it. But if it's connected incorrectly, you add a second step, it's duplicating all the work. So having that kind of, hey, let's try to do it this way with this predefined logic that we all agree to, test that with human testers, go check the work, right? Go look and see. Runs QA, QC against it to get a better understanding of the outcome. And then not until everybody has made a decision that they're happy with that, implement it because getting it wrong doubles the work, perhaps. We don't want to do that. We'd rather not do anything. Something else that I want to get y'all's thoughts on is this dynamic, I'm sure, continues to plague clients as they try to maneuver this data migration challenge, but it's that fear of potentially losing data as data gets ingested to the cloud, it gets brought to a new physical location. There is always that fear that the data is going to get corrupted or it's going to get mishandled or in the process of transferring, just something isn't going to make it to the other side. And that fear needs to be assuaged, especially when we're dealing with critical or sensitive customer data. What are y'all's thoughts there, right? Is this a valid concern that data migration creates lost or corrupted or mismanaged data? Or is that mostly just an unfounded concern? Does it just take the right resources? I mean, what, what are y'all's thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a very valid concern and it's something that I'm concerned with every day on their behalf. You know, obviously they have their own concerns, but we don't want to be uh, the problem, right? So one of the ways that we mitigate that is uh, attempt to demystify the process. You know, you hear a lot of people say, well, this person's a data guru or data wizard, and I do not like that whatsoever. You know, our job is to demystify the process through documentation, you know, describing exactly what is possible, how it's going to be accomplished. And Oftentimes, some customers don't understand the full scope or uh, size and shape of their data. So helping them to understand what their data is actually capable of is important as well. But getting very granular uh, there with the documentation, walking them through all the different situations, and then just being open and honest about it and what is going to happen. And Kind of following that up is we don't ever do anything as a one-time shot. You know, it's a, we typically want to do multiple iterations, uh, give them time to review uh, what that's going to look like. You know, the give them an actual result that we can review, poke, make sure that yes, everything came through. We do things on an object level basis. So give them all the counts. You know, we started with 100 of these objects. We ended up with 99 of them. We didn't get that one object because of this very specific reason uh, and help them understand all of those scenarios uh, so that whenever they do get that final result, they can have confidence that you know everything came through correctly and the things that didn't come through correctly, there's a valid reason for that. I think my my comment here would be you know, assuming that assuming the fear isn't that it's the cloud is someplace that's unsafe to store the data, that 
Yeah, the old the old trope is that the cloud is just a server somewhere else. It's just a computer and someone else's. Uh, it's just a server somewhere. It's it's the same as the one that you're working on now. It just exists in a different location. Uh, assuming that's not not the fear, and it's actual. It's the actual data migration process. I I, I just comment that. At least from my experience, there's a core set of information uh, represented by most customers' data that that's worth its weight in gold. It's it's very very valuable. It's it's necessary for the operation of the company. It's the bread and butter of the system, and it's well maintained. But then, probably the majority of the data is it's questionable whether it's worth anything because nobody knows if the information is authoritative. They don't know in many cases, you know, how it's been maintained, how often it's been maintained, you know, even in legacy systems, if, if somebody would go and do a bulk update, it would just write over the last modified date from everything else and the last modified user. So you kind of lose a lot of information there in terms of the, the custody of that information. So there's a lot of information, even if, even if the customer thinks every single piece of information is, is of critical importance, most of it probably isn't. And then there's a core amount of information that's, that's absolutely critical for the function of the business. So that that would be my first comment, but second comment would be, it's not an all or nothing issue in terms of data migration. It, it might have been at some point in the past when um, physical infrastructure or technology was such that it was really hard to do a, a non-invasive kind of migration. But today, especially with cloud resources, it's no problem at all to spin up an environment in parallel and then you know script out. The migration, whatever that whatever that looks like, you know, working with people like Kevin, and then you have a parallel environment that's getting your data migrated into it. You can you can see the data, you can work with the data, you can test the data in the new environment without without ever closing your old system down or shutting it down and and closing out those processes that maintain the old system. So it's it's not cost-free because it obviously costs money to spin up resources and do these things and the time involved, but it's it's essentially risk-free in that sense if you plan it correctly. It you don't have to you don't have to say okay, we have to be absolutely ready because we're doing a go live and we're shutting everything down. We're going to have a freeze period and then we're going to turn the new system on. There's there's usually a freeze period in, in a go live like that just because of the transition. But while you're developing that that process and the migration process, there's there's no reason to alter what you're currently doing. So you, you can you can have every confidence in the data after migration because you had a chance to see it and interact with it before you ever shut down your your existing system. So I see that as is a far lower risk profile than than maybe it was in the past. Yeah, and that's the core of our strategy. Exactly that is allow customers to work in their existing system up until the minute that we start the cutover. That way they, you know, can see that result like you said sometimes months in advance, understand what it's going to look like you know, and make sure that all the data that's important gets through. And honestly, the data that is not important, if it's not needed, there's no sense in bringing it forward. You know, bad data is worse than no data at all. I like that. I'm going to steal that in the future. I'm going to say that I invented it too. Go for it. 
All right, Kevin, Steven, thank you so much to the two of y'all for your perspective so far. I've got one last question for you. We're just going to kind of open it up to final thoughts here. But if you had to, I guess, disseminate everything that we just covered and distill it down to final actionable tips, what would be your key AI implementation strategy, right? How should customers weigh their migration needs to put AI to work in the most useful, the most time-saving, but also quality-focused way. Any kind of in-summary thoughts there? Yeah, I would say just having that human in the loop to understand where and when it makes the most sense to do certain types of automation, where and when it makes the most sense to avoid that kind of thing. And then also just working as a team to completely understand the nuts and bolts of how everything works so that whenever you do get a result, it's something that you can be you know, happy with. It does what it's supposed to do. It gets a result that doesn't cause more work that is you know, valuable because if you spend all that effort and you come up with something that's worthless, <laughs> it's just a waste of time. And then implementing the wrong strategy whenever it doesn't need to be implemented it's just a waste of time. And sometimes the scale and complexity, it makes more sense just to do it by hand because then you can have confidence in the result. That's not often the case, but in some small cases it is. Just being intelligent about making the decision of when and where to apply technology where it's most effective. I think I would say there's no substitute for quality data is one. That's something you really can't get around because quality data would mean it's it's useful information for whatever whatever the need is for that information. It's something that has value. It's useful. It's accurate. It's uh, recent. And then also machine learning, is it, it's, it's not an all or nothing game. It can be implemented piecemeal. So if you have some narrow little thing that can be useful, usefully solved with machine learning, then it's, it's worth investigating. See if that's going to save you time or money, but it, it doesn't have to solve all of your problems all the time. You, you can, you can implement it in small little chunks. And I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode. So thank you again to the two of you for your time here, walking us through the challenge of data migration that so many businesses are facing today and how automation is stepping in as a viable solution for data migration and why with the right strategies, with the right balance of automation and human touch points and a focused holistic view of putting that data to work can all lead to more successful migrations and a happier client at the end of the day. So thanks again to Stephen Hudak, Senior GIS Consultant for SSP Innovations, and Kevin Harrelson, Production Manager for the Data Team at 3GIS. Stephen, if folks want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about SSP, uh, or they just want some advice and tips, how can they get in touch? How can they learn more? You can just Google my name and find my blogs on the SSPInnovation.com website. Love it. Easy enough. And Mr. Kevin, same question for you. If folks want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about 3GIS, where can we point them to? Yeah, you can check out uh, 3GIS.com or you can contact me directly at K Harrelson. Uh, that's K-H-A-R-R-E-L-S-O-N at 3-GIS.com. Kevin, Stephen, thanks again for your time today, y'all. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks. Take it easy.
And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want to tap into some previous conversations, make sure that you're heading to our website, 3-GIS.com. Again, the number 3 dash gis.com you can also subscribe to fiberside chat on apple podcasts and spotify for future episodes as well as a full catalog of our previous ones i'm your host daniel litwin the voice of b2b and we'll catch you on the next episode of fiberside chat <laughs>